This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. As we're talking about the Lord Jesus, we're talking about the gospel, and my message today is simply entitled, The Gospel is Jesus. The Gospel is Jesus. We've talked about the gospel, getting the story straight. I've waded into a few definitions and trying to get everybody just to think with me about the marvelous gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and what that gospel does to every individual and how we exalt the Lord Jesus when we talk about the gospel. The Bible says, preach the gospel. The Lord Jesus preached the gospel. The apostles preached the gospel. And we are instructed to preach the gospel. So as we come into the gospel concept, the gospel theology. I want you to soak it in and get it for yourself and for everybody around you, everyone in your life. The gospel. Our first definition is very simple. It simply reads, the gospel is God welcoming, and this is the whole spirit of grace, just as you are, by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. So our our words that we've been trying to focus on and make sure we understand is that salvation and gospel and everything that comes from gospel because gospel is not just salvation. Gospel is living by the gospel. It's living by the grace that comes with the gospel. It's for your whole life. You will always look to the gospel or back to the gospel, living through the gospel. It's by grace alone. But grace must be married to faith. And faith is always in Christ alone, nothing else. No good works, not deeds, not even the element of knowledge and belief in your knowledge is not that. It's in Christ alone. And in Christ alone, something begins to happen in you that reshapes your life and brings you into a place where you realize what an unimaginable future I have in Christ. I never realized I had so much in Christ. Most of us still don't plumb the depths of how much we really have in Christ. My second definition is the gospel speaks about the persistent God. The God that never gives up. He's always loving you, holding his arms open, saying, welcome home. The gospel is welcome home. The gospel is persistence. It's a sovereign God never giving up on a person, ever, ever, ever. The gospel is persistence, sovereignty, endurance. God's will that every man would call upon the name of Jesus. It says in the epistles that the will of the Father and the heart of the Father is that all would believe, all would be saved. That's the heart of God. The heart of God is that everyone would come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God never gives up on a person. We give up. We write off. We put people in boxes And some of those boxes is we won't even talk to them anymore because we've given up on them. Their life, their lifestyle, their stubbornness, whatever it might be, we can't see how they will ever change. God never gives up. Third, the gospel is, and this is just more of a real solid biblical understanding what the gospel is. It is the life-altering news. The gospel means good news. Life-altering news that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, became human, incarnation. Lived a sinless life died for sinners, came back to life so that humanity could have a relationship with God. That's the gospel. The gospel is all about a person, a person. Not a doctrine, not a church, 
It's about a person. It's not about theology, the doctrine of the person, although it is important, and I'll get to that, I think, within the series. If not afterward, we're going to kind of be on this theme for a long time. But as we look at the gospel, you must understand the gospel is a person. It's not a code. It's not a book. Not a philosophy. It's not a bit of knowledge. The gospel is a person. We are the only religion in the world that is founded upon the person and his life and what he did and his teaching, not just his teaching. All other religions are founded upon the teaching of the person, not the person. Not the person. But in Christianity, it's all about this man, Jesus, who has become very popular in the last couple decades, again, with both the liberals and the social and the movies and the writers and the people trying to figure it out and all the books being written, it's just really quite amazing how popular Jesus is again and how people are trying to figure out just how much should you look at his life and how much of his life should you believe? How much of his life should you embrace? Who was Jesus? All right, the gospel, a way that you might want to remember it, here it is in a nutshell. The gospel. The gospel is what? God created us to be with him. I'm using an acronym, which I normally don't do, but this acronym kind of helps you just get a grasp on the gospel. So if you write this in your Bible or uh, in your journal or somewhere where you have it when you're sharing Christ with people, this might help your memory to get back to what the gospel actually is. The gospel is that God created us to be with him. There's something in us that desires God. You can't help that. You desire more. You desire more than what you have. There's a desire built into the human spirit for something more. Life does not satisfy. Things don't satisfy. Anything to do with your emotions, your soul, and your body will not ultimately satisfy you. Our sins separate us from God from the beginning. Sin cannot be removed by good deeds. That's why Adam, when they sinned and they clothed themselves trying to hide their nakedness, it didn't do any good because they were still naked before God. They could not, even with their deeds, change what they had done. Paying the price for sin, a sinner cannot die for a sinner. Why the simplicity and the complexity of that statement is so huge? Because if Jesus was not sinless, there is no salvation. There is no need to argue. A sinner cannot die for a sinner. Everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. And life with Jesus starts now, and it lasts forever. Beyond any comprehension, the whole idea of eternity and how to get into eternity and stay in eternity. A lot smarter people than I have tried to plumb that and research that, and it's mind-boggling, but it simply says those that are in Christ have this thing called eternity with Christ, with the kingdom of God forever and ever, with all the people that believe and trust in Christ. Can it be that easy? Can it weigh in? 
Can that possibly be true? You will hope so when you get to be 80 or 90 and you're on your deathbed, you have your family gathered around and you're going to pass over where every human being, every single human being passes over. There's nobody except Christ that has ever broken death. Nobody. Not Buddha, not Mohammed, not the greatest Mother Teresa, not anybody. Everybody faces death. Don't have to argue it. Today there will be thousands of people that will cross that line. Thousands today. Every minute I speak, hundreds and hundreds of people. Every second, dozens and dozens and dozens. While we're doing church, there will be thousands of people pass over. From life to death to who knows? To what? What happens to your body? You know it decays. What happens to your soul, your mind, your will and emotions? Does it decay with the body? What happens to your spirit? Does it stay encased there or does it go up immediately? Does it go into some kind of a heaven somewhere? It's what happens at death is very, very much an interesting topic for everybody. And there are hundreds of books written about it from every point of view. Now, the only book that I'm going to believe is the book written by the only person who ever broke that thing. That's the only book I'm going to believe. I'm not going to talk to another dead person about death and they die and nothing happens. And I say, well, I'm going to believe whatever you said even though you died and that was it for you. But I think it might be more for me. So I'm going to believe you. I'm not going to believe a sinner who dies and stays in the grave. I'm going to believe for the person who was sinless, died, came out of the grave and tells me I can have eternal life. Very important that you know the person you believe person. On that hinges the gospel. All right, the gospel is Jesus. Here it is. He is Jesus, the one and only, eternal, God's son, merciful, the sinner's savior, the captive's redeemer, unparalleled, unprecedented, unsurpassed, cornerstone, capstone. His name is Jesus. There's no one, not remotely close. Nobody, not remotely close. Not even a light year close to Jesus. There was only ever one Jesus and there will only ever be one Jesus for all eternity. Even when we pass into eternity and we are the sons and daughters of God, we will still be redeemed sons and daughters. Christ was never redeemed. He is the redeemer. There's nothing comparable to Jesus. Unparalleled, unsurpassed, so different. Someone, sa someone said to you, well, you know, it really doesn't matter what you believe or who you believe. Religions are all the same. You need to just clear your throat and say, I've never heard such an ignorant statement. And then stand your ground. 
Why? Because there is no comparison, not even remotely close. And I will tell you exactly why that is true. The Lord Jesus is enough. No one else. He's the one that is unparalleled, unpresented, unsurpassed. No one like him. A man buying a Rolls Royce pays $250,000 for the car, Silver Cloud Rolls Royce. Drives the car home. On the way home, he said, this is a magnificent car. It's more than magnificent. He gets home. He calls the salesman. He says, I just have a question for you. Salesman says, sure. What's the horsepower of the engine that I'm driving? It handles so well. The salesman says, I'm sorry, we cannot tell you that. The man says, excuse me, startled. what do you mean you can't tell me that? I'm sorry, we don't tell people the horsepower of our engines. I just paid $250,000 for your car, thank you very much, and you will tell me the horsepower of my engine. He says, I will not tell you, I cannot tell you, and I will not tell you. The man gets in his car, drives back to the Rolls-Royce dealer. And begins to argue with itself. Says, I demand to know what is under the hood. He says, I cannot tell you. Well, then you ask someone else. So he did. He faxed the main office. He says, I have a customer here that's demanding to know the horsepower of the Rolls Royce. He just paid $250,000 cash for. Will you please respond? They're both standing there. They're waiting. Finally, the fax machine rings. Fax machine comes on. The man who bought the car is looking. He's thinking, okay, here we go. At the top of the fax, you can read it. It's from the CEO of the Rolls-Royce main office. CEO. So it rolls up, so you read that, and then it's blank. In the middle of the page, there's just one word. Adequate. Adequate. Argument over. What kind of a motor do I have? Adequate. Don't worry about it. You'll never need any more. You have plenty. It's adequate. I want to tell you right now, no matter what you ask, Jesus is adequate. No matter what you face, he's adequate. You don't have to know the full theology of all the redemption and the atonement and all this stuff and say, hey, what kind of horsepower are we running here? All you need to know is whatever you face, Jesus is adequate. He is enough. Enough for anything and everything you will ever face in life, death, or eternity. He's adequate. Can somebody say amen? amen. Now, John 8, 24. Message translation, I seem to like him the best. John 8, 24. You're at a dead end. If you won't believe I am who I say I am, you're at the dead end of sins. You're missing God in your lives. That is one verse amongst a host of verses in the Gospels and later on Pauline epistles and Peter, all of them kind of bring it up different ways, using different words. But the point right here is Jesus says, if you don't believe I am who I said I am, you're at a dead end. You're dead in your sin. There's no, there's no hope for you. 
You will not be able to go any further. You're at a dead end. Well, you know, I'll attend church and I'll give money to the poor and I'll serve people. But I don't have to, you know, say that naughty thing that people say nowadays, which is more naughty than ever now. There's only one way to God. And Jesus is the only way. What? What did you say? Well, I just said Jesus is the only way. What? How can you say that? How can you judge every religion and every philosopher and every thinker? And who do you Christians think you are? You're tolerant of nobody. You're snobbish. You're egotistical. Whatever. You're, how can you possibly say that? Well, because it's true. Who told you that? Jesus. Who's that? The only guy who rose from the dead. Why should I listen to him? That's a good question. That's a good question. In our society, more and more people are faced with the argument and with the embarrassment to even remotely almost say it. Well, if Jesus is the only way that leaves me out, where does that put me? Um, in a bad place. What do you mean? If you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to go to hell. Well, you are one legalistic, judgmental, narrow-minded, snobbish person. Sorry. I'm not creating the message. I'm only passing it on. I didn't come up with this. Well, who said this? Well, we're back to this. Whether you can prove it or not, you better be able to at least talk it through. Jesus is the only way to God. John 14, 6, you know the scripture. Jesus said to him, I am the way, John 14, 6, the truth, the life, no one. Well, Jesus was very emphatic and narrow-minded. No one comes to the Father, and he uses this huge word, except, except. No one except one gate through me. That's it. There is no other way. There is no other way to God, no other way to the Father. Can you even imagine in the midst of a pluralistic Rome as we have a pluralistic society today, can you even imagine the people that reacted to that, all the different Stoics and the Epicureans and the different philosophers and Mars Hill people. I mean, they had it all. They had it all. They have everything we have. They have all the thinkers, all the different reincarnations and worship animals and worship the stars and worship the moon and worship creation. And, and there's all kinds of ways for you to get better and better and better until you finally, he had all that in front of him. He says, by the way, no one, no one will come to the Father except narrow, small little door, except through me. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Here's a quote that gives you a feel of what's out there right now. Insanity between religions must end. 
as well as competition and exclusiveness. We are people of many faiths. Now this is just posted yesterday. So this is right up to date. We are people of many faiths. Faiths, we must live together, affirm oneness, and human race togetherness to respect and preserve the diversity within us. Are religions supposed to point us to God? Yes, all religions point us to God. No one should judge another or exclude another. We're all on the same path. We should accept one another and be tolerant of one another. That, in a nutshell, is the attitude and the thinking apparatus of America, probably Canada, for sure England, it's the thinking apparatus of the human race is together of many different belief systems. We need to melt, save the environment, love one another, help people when we can, but please get rid of your insanity that religions are in competition or religions have a superiority over one another. You have to get rid of that. We're all in this together. It sounds so... Uh, humble and right for someone to give that speech and to say that, especially when it's a person of high stature in our country. It's so right for someone to say these things. The only problem with it is that they are wrong. And the church seems to be afraid to say what is right and wrong. We're kind of blending. We're kind of agreeing. We're trying to be tolerant. We want to, you know, have a voice, but our voice is becoming more faint, more mixed, more unbible, more open to all. We won't demand anything from anybody. And the church's voice is shrinking to this cultural pressure. And the cultural pressure is what we have to break. We cannot be conformed by the pressure of our culture. we got to stand with the truth in graciousness and righteousness and a right attitude and the love of Jesus. But we have to tell people the truth. The truth. Because their eternal life is at stake. What is the truth? Jesus says, I'm the road. I'm the life. I'm the truth. No one gets to the Father but by me. Jesus is the only way. There's one God, 1 Timothy 2.5, and only one. One priest, mediator between God and us. His name is Jesus. Only one. Jesus doesn't mix his words. Paul doesn't mix his words. There's only one way to Jesus. Not multiple roads, not multiple philosophies. There's one way to the Father, and it's through this man. Why can this man say this? We did not invent the claim. We did not invent the claim. Jesus is the only way. It's what Jesus told us to relate, proclaim. Preach the claim. 
in our pluralistic society. So hard to finally say it to someone. Well, if you are believing that, I just want you to know it's wrong. It's wrong. All religions are not equal. They are not equal. Stand your ground, square your shoulders, and begin to say it out loud to your working buddies, your friends, and your family. All religions are not equal. Thank you very much. You can go to Tibet. You can, you know, get your prayer wheel. You can meditate. You can read Buddha. Or you can just be a, a humanist or a secularist. You can choose what you want. But I'm telling you right now, all religions are not equal. Why? Every religion in the world has a list of things you must do to be in that religion. Every single one of them. Every one of them. On how you progress or how you redeem yourself or how you think or how you... Every one of them is a do, do, do. Because in Christianity... We are on the other end of the spectrum because of only one man, not because of anything else. We're not better than them. No way. We are no better than any person on the planet Earth. A Christian is no better flesh, no better anything than any person living on planet Earth. The only reason we have hope is because in Jesus Christ, it's not the word do, it's the word done. Done. We are the only religion that starts with done. It's been done for you. You can't add to it. There's nothing for you to die for to make your redemption. It's been done for you. And you don't have to do the things that other religions, only because of the person. One time when I was preaching in our church in Eugene, we planted and pastored for 12 years before coming back to City Bible Church, my wife and I. When I was preaching one night on a Wednesday night service on the second coming of Christ, trying to teach our church about the second coming of Christ, we'd been going a few years. There's probably like 300 people in the auditorium, and I'm teaching on a Wednesday night. And I'm talking about looking for this blessed hope, looking for the coming of Christ and going through the Thessalonian scriptures and how you prepare for it and how real it is and what happens at the coming of Christ. And as I was doing that, and I said, and we need to look, and I paused just for a second to grab a scripture from my notes, and we need to look, and I paused, and a man popped up in the auditorium dressed in a long white robe and had long locks, a Rastafarian, he popped up, I mean, he timed it absolutely perfect. He popped up, and he said out loud, Look for no other, for I am here. <laughs> and he caught me off guard. He caught me off guard. Because when I turn from my notes to look at him, he's right in front of me, about five rows into the middle, and he's standing there with squared shoulders, and he's looking around, and he says, look for no other. I am here. And I start laughing. Ah. I could not help myself. It was a cartoon. It was sure real. It was, and the church froze. They didn't know what to do, and I started giggling. I tried not to. I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> oh, wow, that's, that's good. You're good. You're good. Sit down. You're not it. I said, you're not him. He goes, whoop. Now, because someone says, look no further, for I am he, they better have some credentials to say, I am he. And that guy, I'm not going to follow him. I'm going to laugh and say, poor soul, go smoke some more pot somewhere. You're not the guy that I'm going to follow. All right? You're not it. For Jesus or anyone else. And put them all, if you want to put them equal, go ahead. But when Jesus says, I'm the only one you'll have to worry about. Why? There's no one like me. I can prove it. I want you to let me prove it with you, but it will have to be in the next message. After six years given to impartial investigation, this is a quote by Lou Wallace, who was a uh, 19th century lawyer and general in the U.S. Uh, government. After six years given to impartial investigation of Christianity, I have come to the deliberate conclusion that Jesus Christ was the Messiah of the Jews, the Savior of the world, and now has become my personal Savior. I have concluded He is who he says he is. And if he is who he says he is and was, and he could do what he said he was going to do, then you best give your whole life to him because there is no one else like him. No one that had the five big C's, the five credentials, which... I will give you next weekend, if you miss the service, you will be hopelessly lost for eternity. <laughs> Grab the CDs or the downloads or the podcasts, whatever it takes, but don't miss where I'm building this particular series and for us to be able to stay strong and share the most important message that's ever been shared, Jesus Christ is our Savior and Redeemer. There's no case too hard. No broken person he can't heal. There's nothing he can't do. There's no one like him. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, unparalleled, unprecedented, unsurpassed. He's Jesus. Can I hear an amen? That's the Jesus we serve.